Good morning. Welcome to Grace. We live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. But the good news is when we gather together for worship, we are reminded that it's not about what we have done or what we can do. It's about what Christ has done in us and through us. That when we gather for worship, we are reminded of the very grace of God that changes absolutely everything, turns upside down an upside down world, and shows us that our lives have purpose and meaning in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, the heavens proclaim your glory. The skies display your craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make you known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. Your instructions, O Lord, are perfect, reviving the soul. Your decrees are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Your commandments, O Lord, are right, bringing joy to our hearts. Your commands, O Lord, are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servants and a great reward for those who obey them. Who can know all the sins lurking in our hearts? Cleanse us from these hidden faults. Keep us from the deliberate sins. Don't let them control us. And then we will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Father, as we come to you, we are in awe of who you are. We are in awe of your glory and your might and your majesty. And God, all your glory and might and majesty expose is our desperate and daily need for you. It exposes our sin. It exposes the brokenness and the rebellion that exists in us and around us. God, we come to you today in a prayer of confession. We come to you today to lay ourselves before you once again. And ask for your mercy and grace, acknowledging our sin and our rebellion, acknowledging those willful and deliberate sins where we still fall short of your glory, even acknowledging in our humanity those sins that we commit against you in rebellion that we might not even be conscious of. God, we lay those before you this morning. We lay those before you because we know that you are the God who has come to restore us, to redeem us out of our rebellion, 
and bring us back into a right relationship with you. God, from our hidden sins and our deliberate sins, we pray and we ask for your forgiveness. God, we pray on behalf of one another. We're grateful for the way that you work in the lives of those in our church family. We're grateful for the way that your spirit equips and encourages through your word and through our family as a church. God, we pray for those who are struggling today with physical difficulties, praying with those who are recognizing the weakness and the frailty of these human bodies. God, our deepest desire, though, is that you would use every one of those physical weaknesses to increase our spiritual dependence on you. That even as we pray for the relief and the healing of of bones and bodies and disease, God, that we know that we would never waste one of those illnesses, breaks, or diseases. That in every one of those, they would teach us to learn to depend on you more. To look to you for our strength and not our own bodies. And to longingly anticipate the day of your glorious return when our bodies will be made new. God, I pray that our physical struggles don't cause us to fall away from you, but they help us lean into you with greater dependence and anticipation. God, ultimately we know even in the midst of a broken and fallen world and even in the midst of our own struggles and temptations with sin, that you are good and glorious and you have called us and equipped us through your spirit and your word that we might draw closer to you and become more and more like you every day, longing for the day when sin and death are no more and we are restored to you in glorious heaven. God, we pray that today, even as we gather on this worship day, we pray that even though we might be surrounded by chaos and turmoil and Maybe we're even struggling with the idea of beginning a new week. God, we know you are sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for all we need. Your power is sufficient for all we need. And even in the most difficult and trying times, those are opportunities for us to see you and to trust you and to grow in our love and dependence for you. God, help us as we pray this morning. God, we do pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Are we ready? the point you're always looking forward to every Sunday through this series. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, 
for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. All right? Not too bad. Is it behind me on the screen? Ah, oh, see, I thought you guys were with me and doing great and all that. And you're reading line along. Let's try it one, one more time. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Very good. Yeah, very good. And this was the, this was the verse that's kind of been the, the theme for us. This one we did this past week, the idea of fooling ourselves. The, the danger of feeling like we can just listen to God's Word. We're going to later, as we continue to walk through this passage together, we're going to add another verse for next week. We'll add the very next one. And, and later we're going to get to this idea of, of glancing at our face in a mirror and seeing ourselves and walking away and forgetting what we look like. And that's the, that's the caution that we've wanted to approach James with. That in reality, the only protection that you and I have against fooling ourselves is sitting under the authority of God's Word. That the only protection you and I have against deceiving ourselves and fooling ourselves is not even just listening to God's Word, but following God's Word through obedience. So we've wanted to kind of unpack that and see that as we've worked through this. And today, I want us to look at what it means to fool ourselves about the weight of our words. Fooling ourselves about the weight of our words. And to do that, I want us to look at James chapter 3, might be a familiar passage for some of you, but we're going to look at James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through 12. Again, we're trying to figure out how is it we can keep from fooling ourselves even about the weight of our words. James 3 begins like this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It, it, it is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. 
Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brother and sister, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out of both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Now, in all honesty, this is one of those passages which we wish was a lot more difficult to interpret. Uh, We wish this was one of those passages that was harder to understand, but it seems to be pretty upfront with us about the weight and the danger of our words. It even starts with maybe the suggestion that we should have shorter sermons, right? Because the more we talk, the more we get into trouble. And I thought about closing in prayer at this point and just calling it good. Uh, This is also probably one of those passages where introverts love it, right? Because they don't want to talk to anybody anyway. But the whole idea of the more that we talk, the more that we can get ourselves in trouble. And the, the challenge here in the first part of this chapter is to those who would want to be teachers, those who would want to pursue a, a place of influence and prominence of a teacher, James's warning is to be careful what you wish for. Because the more that you talk, the more likely you are to maybe say something you didn't mean or to say something incorrectly or to get yourself in in trouble. There was a, a man that I knew and at his, uh, at his funeral, his kids were talking about him as a father. And, and one of the sons got up and told a story about his dad. And he said every, every once in a while, his father would look at him and say, you know, you missed a golden opportunity to keep your mouth shut. And uh, the, the realization that sometimes the less that we say can keep us maybe out of trouble a little bit. It's been Interesting to walk through the Proverbs study at 9.30. And, and so many times we have seen the Proverbs deal with these same issues of our tongues. Uh, Proverbs 13.3, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Uh, the, the, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Proverbs 15.2. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Proverbs 16.24 Proverbs 21.23 Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Perhaps that's the one I'm going to get on a coffee mug later on this week. A, A reminder of the weight of our words. I mean, we've all heard it, right? Sticks and stones. Sticks and stones can break my bones. Actually, the reality of that is at least, at least those bones would have healed by now. We don't always understand the weight of our words, and since we say that, sticks and stones can break our bones, but words will never harm us. We say that as a way to dismiss the power of words in our lives. But I would imagine if we got together, just me and you, and had a real honest conversation, there's probably words that you have heard years ago that you still remember that have wounded you. Maybe the bruises have healed and the bones have come back together, but there are still words that we have heard, and maybe even words that we have said, that have left a bruise that still hasn't healed, that still sticks with us, it still hurts us. 
I find that sometimes we, we too quickly dismiss our words and demand apologies for others' words. Sometimes I might come across, well, you know, I know I said that, but, you know, they knew what I meant and they should just kind of get over that. You know, they need, a, they need a thicker skin themselves. And in reality, when it comes to ourselves, sometimes we find that, that maybe when it comes to other words, others' words, we have a much thinner skin than we realize. Instead of maybe thinking about the reverse of that, that we would, we would assume others have a thin skin than we would have a thicker skin. But the power and the impact of our words, I think, is much more significant than we give it credit for. I think we, we toss them around as if they're like really no, uh, not, not a big deal at all. They're just words we might say. Even, we might even say the term just saying. Right? We're, just, we're just tossing around words without any real thought about the impact that those words are having. I've, I've even noticed a change in the way that we use words when it comes to both in-person and online conversations. It's amazing the way people will communicate with people they have no relationship whatsoever with in online communication. The comments that they'll make, the ways that they'll attack an individual, things I would hope they would never say if they were sitting across the table from that person. They will feel the total freedom to say on an open internet connection to people they don't even know. We almost have such a twisted world in which we live in, there's this badge of honor that goes with that. We, 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 we want to leave somebody with the last burn, as we might say. We really want to really stick it to them. With the, we really want get, to get, get them with the gotcha phrase and the, the mic drop moment without any real consideration of the impact that those words are truly having. We know, we know that lives have been damaged, careers have been ended over what some of us might say were just words. The weight of our words is significant. And we know that's true because we know how significant the weight of somebody else's words have been in our lives. We understand that really well. Because some of us still remember. I was a horrible baseball player. Shock to you, I know. I know many of you thought, oh, I thought he was a you know, top-tier athlete. No, that's not really been the case. I was a horrible baseball player. I was the baseball player on the Little League team that was, that was required by rule to be in the game. If my coach could have chosen to not be put, put me in the game, I would have never seen the game. But I was required to play two innings a game, which usually meant I got up to bat one time, which usually meant I either struck out or got hit by the pitch. Now, I will not tell you what my team was rooting for. <laughs> I will tell you there were times my coach looked at me and said, Mark, when you go up there, why don't you lean into this one? Right? He knew the likelihood of that going to happen. I still remember, I still remember as a 10-year-old, another boy on the team, I would say his name, but this is a live stream. The fact that I know his name to this day speaks to what we're talking about. He looked at me and said, you're, you're horrible. Why are you here? All you're doing is hurting this team. Why don't you just not show up for the rest of our games? Why do I still remember that? Because the weight of our words 
is more than we realize. But James recognizes that. James, James shows us in this passage in a caution to, to, to would-be teachers, but really the application I think he is pointing to is in our relationships with, with each other. Uh, if we look down at verse 9, he talks about how the words that we use really are an impact in our interpersonal relationships. Beginning in 9, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. So he starts with the idea of the caution to the would-be teachers, but he really brings it back to you and I to say, hey, how is it that we speak to those and how do we interact with those who are made in the very image of God? I think as we look at this particular passage, there's three C's, because you know I had to do that, right? I had to make them all start with C, but I really felt like they started with C anyway, so I didn't, don't think I forced it this time. But, but I want us to see when it comes to the weight of our words, this particular passage, I think, points to the importance of being cautious with our words, to demonstrate control with our words, and to also demonstrate consistency with our words. I think as we kind of walk through this passage, we're going to see that, that there's a, there's a, there's a, incredible intention given us given to the idea of being cautious with the words that we use the importance of controlling the words that we use and developing consistency in the in the words that we use the really the the, the cautious one jumps out at us in this discussion of fire uh, beginning in verse 5 down through 8 there's this picture of this setting a forest on fire a, a forest fire being set uh, uh, set up in, in, uh, on fire because of, of what our tongues say and, and what they do, uh, even connecting that this tongue that we have can, can set our entire course of life on fire, and this fire is set by hell itself. Those are some incredibly powerful, cautioning words about the danger and the impact that as verse 5 says, this small part of the body has. We need to really understand the amount of caution that we need to have when it comes to our words. Even this picture of the struggling to tame in 7 and 8, and that, and that's, and it's still that passage, even talking about how it's a full of, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verses 5 through 8 are pointing to just how much caution we need to have with our words. Whether a deadly poison or a fire itself, it shows us how important it is that we have a tremendous amount of respect for the words that we use. They're not just words. These are dangerous things. Without treated with the proper care and without treated with the proper respect can, can do incredible amounts of damage. Forest fires, things set on fire from the pit of hell, wild animals out of control, wreaking havoc and destruction, deadly poison. I was talking with Kyle yesterday, and I owe him money now, because usually if you ever use somebody in an illustration and you didn't warn them in advance, you have to give them $5. But, but he was talking last night, he and his friends went uh, hiking uh, over the weekend in, uh, in the Smoky Mountains. And they, uh, they came across a rattlesnake on the trail. Rattlesnake, right? Not, not, not garter, not, you know, a serious rattlesnake. 
And we said, well, what, what, you know, what did you do? Assuming that the natural response is we, went, we took another trail. But no, no, they decided they didn't want to leave that snake on the trail for somebody else to see. And we're thinking, oh dear, okay. What, what did you guys do with the rattlesnake as you encountered it? And uh, come to find out, in, in, their, in all of their courage and wisdom, they stood at a good distance and lobbed rocks at it until it moved itself off the trail. Well, that was the appropriate amount of respect to show to the rattlesnake, right? Had they said, well, I went over and, you know, I got it by the head, my friend got it by the tail, we're like, what are you doing, right? Because don't you understand the danger and the amount of caution that needs to be, that that snake needs to be treated with? That is a deadly, poisonous snake. You have no business touching that. You want to express incredible caution as it comes to dealing with that. James is pointing to the, the, our words the very same way. Wild, deadly animals, combustible, firing things. There is a tremendous amount of caution that he is referring to our words here that we need to be aware of and to treat them that way. I, I came across a poem that Alistair Begg had, had mentioned. It's actually uh, from... Uh, 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 it's called Suppose, and it's from 1912 by Grace Castle. And think about this. The, pat, the, the poem says, If all we say in a single day with never a word left out were printed each night in clear back, black and white, it would make strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose, before our eyes close, we had read the whole record through then wouldn't we sigh and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And I more than think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half what I said in a single day were to be left forever unsaid. The amount of caution that we should take with our words. A deadly poison, a dangerous fire. If you look, just look up for that in our passage, besides this caution, there's the picture of the control that needs to be taken with our tongues as well too. In verses 3 through 4, there's illustrations about very small things, very small things like bits in a horse's mouth or rudders on the bottom of very large uh, ships that point to is how something so small can have a tremendous amount of control. And he points to these words and say, hey, we need to exercise an incredible amount of control over our tongues and over the, our words. Not just because we have to be treated with tremendous caution, but because they demonstrate a tremendous amount of control over us. It even says in this passage that if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect in every way. That, that if we could control our tongues, that there would be a picture of the pursuit of perfection here. Now let's, let's, let's be honest. This is one of those glorious gospel things that we would say in our own strength, we have no ability to do this. You and I cannot wake up in the morning and go, today's the day I'm going to control my tongue all day. This is the day. 
maybe those would be the days you stayed by yourself all day. But in, in reality, we know that we do not have the ability to control our tongues apart from God's Word and Spirit living in our lives and transforming us. Apart from the saving grace of Jesus and His Spirit living in us, teaching us and guiding us every day, we have no hope to have this kind of control over our tongue. But it is what is being laid out for us in this picture of what it means to grow in our faith, what it means to live wisely, what it means to reflect Christ in our lives. This call to be the perfect man is a call to pursue this perfection by depending on God's grace and looking to the future glory of what he will do. This is a daily reminder for us that you and I cannot have this sort of control over our words apart from God's Spirit and His grace in our lives. That's the good news. The good news is He has made a way through His Word and His Spirit to help us have this kind of control. If we were to say that this text is just telling us you guys better straighten up and fly right and work really hard and control your words, that would be devastating. Because we already know how difficult it is and how dangerous it can be, but yet it still requires this incredible amount of control. The, the, the third thing that I think he mentions when he describes this relationship in verses 9 through 12 is really this call for consistency. He takes it, he takes it back. and takes, Not only is it a small thing that has tremendous control, not only is it a dangerous thing that needs to be treated with incredible caution, but our words also need to reveal a certain consistency. He said that, that we've, with it, we, we bless our Lord and Father. We, we praise God. We thank God. And then we turn around and curse those those brothers and sisters, we curse those who are made in the image and likeness of God. And he recognized that can't even be. He even gives us the illustration about, about water from a spring. How the inconsistency just can't be. We can't be someone who praises God and thanks God one moment and then curses the very people that are made in God's image the next. He's, there's something so inconsistent here that has to be addressed that, that salt water can't come out of fresh and olive... Uh, uh, Olive trees don't, don't bear frig, figs. There's, a, there's something here that's so inconsistent. Uh, Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp has said that nothing comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the first place. We sometimes dismiss things or excuse things and say, well, they didn't know really what they said. They really didn't know what they meant. They, they really weren't in control. They weren't in control of their words at that point. But we know, even as the Scriptures we have shared in worship this morning, that there's a consistency that it's out of our, out of our hearts. The, the words that we use are consistent reflections of what's in us, what, what comes out of us. You know, it's even very interesting to me that we think about how we evaluate our spiritual growth. How do we evaluate Christian maturity? How do we evaluate what it means to walk in faith? Well, and sometimes we've, we've mistakenly turned it into a... Uh, a multiple choice theology test to determine whether or not somebody is spiritually mature or not. When in reality, it might be gained more at looking at the consistency of the words that come out of their mouth. I got to be honest with you. I have social media. It's purely for the for, purely for the purpose of checking up on people. 
It is, sure, it is truly for the purpose of kind of looking through and wondering, what are the words that they're using? How are they interacting with people? How are they interacting with things? There are some times where I might be approached by someone that would like me to recommend them for something. And the first thing I do oftentimes is, well, I'll go and I'll see if I can find out their social media habits and see what is consistently coming out of them in an environment where they feel free of the weight of those words. What are they expressing? What are they sharing? What are they, how are they interacting with others? To me, that's a, a more consistent picture of what God is doing in our lives maybe in, than I could ever find in, in just a conversation with them. That this call for consistency here is one that really points us to our need for spiritual maturity. I, I even was thinking about it like this, that the, the daily surrender of our lives, that's what we, what we talk about as following Christ. We like to die daily and to carry our cross. And Romans 12.1 talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as a true and proper worship. I, I sometimes wonder if the surrender of our lives, if we recognize it includes the surrender of our words. That the call to die daily and surrender our lives also includes the surrender of our words to die to daily. Because that's the call of consistency that's being laid before us. Again, I just kept finding myself with Alistair Begg this week. And he, he likewise said that the fact that something is true does not demand its repetition. Sometimes we feel like if it's true, it doesn't matter. He said, true doesn't demand its repetition. He said, we need not ask only, is it true, but is it kind, and is it necessary, and if it isn't, then forget it. And I thought, well, maybe the better question for our words is not are they harmful, but are they helpful? I think sometimes when we're thinking about the weight of our words and we're thinking about how they want to consistently display the transformed heart that God is giving us through the Gospel and and this call to lean into Him for the control and, and the respect and cautiousness about the weight of those words, that perhaps not just evaluating it, well, I don't think anybody was harmed by that. But perhaps the greater question might be, was it helpful? Maybe that would be the evaluation that I could approach my words with as well. You know, I used to to participate in an archery uh, training program. It was similar to the National Archery in Schools program, but it was church-based. It was called Center Shot. And, uh, you know, you you got bows and arrows, and you got kids, and you got a gym. So there's a certain amount of caution that has to be displayed in that environment. Because I know people don't always treat bows and arrows the same way they do firearms. People treat firearms very differently. I've been with friends who were firearm instructors and and, uh, I went to the range with them and there's an incredible amount of caution and an incredible amount of control and consistency that takes place in, in, in a firing range about how things should operate. Well, that was one of the most important things we did in this archery program was to take bows and arrows, which most people thought were just toys, and help people really appreciate maybe the danger of these bows and arrows a little. Teaching some respect for 
the, 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 the bows and arrows and what. So we had this whole range set up that was very, and the person who did it was a super cautious safety person. And the way that we learned and the way that we taught was always very controlled and very regimented. As a matter of fact, if we were doing it in this room right now, there would have been signs on those doors and those doors on the outside that are still locked from the outside that says archery range in progress. Just in case by some unusual means somebody walked in as we were firing bows and arrows. A tremendous amount of caution was displayed how the bows were handled, how the arrows were handled, what was downrange, how, how, how everything was designed to, re, to respect the caution of those bows and arrows. Even when we got to shoot, you just didn't shoot and then go pull your arrows while everybody else was shooting. That seems kind of dangerous, doesn't it? Maybe. Yes, absolutely it does. So there were even a system of, of lines that you couldn't cross. There was a shooting line, and once you shot your arrows, you would go back to the waiting line, and you would wait for everybody else to return to that waiting line. You would wait until everybody was behind the waiting line, and everything was all clear, and a whistle was blown, and everybody would then move to the target line, and then be given even more instructions about pulling their arrows out of line. It was a very regimented and controlled environment that moved with whistle commands and all sorts of of, of intricate caution and and thankfully nobody ever got hurt but it was because each time was treated with the weight that it was it was as you can imagine most accidents happen when people forget the weight forget the 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 uh, the impact they forget the dangerousness of it many of you know people who have had firearm accidents and oftentimes it's because at some point along the way all of the procedures and protocols for being safe and controlled and consistent, well, it was the consistency that fell apart. Likewise true with the archery range. The most dangerous time was when we got over-familiar with what we were doing. And we would say, well, I really don't need to wait behind the waiting line. I can just kind of wait here. I don't really need to follow things as closely and consistency. But when we're dealing with things that are dangerous, it is so critical that we show the proper amount of respect, the caution, the the proper amount of control, and especially the proper amount of consistency. In this passage, again, the consistency is is what comes out of our heart and what comes out of our mind is a a better reflection for us. But, But when we think about how our words are applied and how our words are demonstrated, the same thing could be said is true. We need, to, we need to lose the idea that words are just words and see them for having the, the impact and requiring the amount of caution and control and, and how critical it is that, that the words that we say when we praise God are consistent with the very likeness of those who are created in his image. It might seem that the only application of this passage is not to talk to anybody anymore. (laughs) We know that can't be. But it does say perhaps we need to be slower. Slow to speak, maybe. Perhaps we need to be 
slower and consider, and, and consider more about the words that we say. And James 1.26, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. We don't want to fool ourselves. We don't want to be deceived <coughs> by thinking it's meaningless and less than. We want to recognize the proper weight of our words, knowing we need to fully surrender those to God every day. As much as His Word is calling us to submit or offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we are to surrender and submit our lives, and that includes the surrender and submission of our words every day that we would recognize their weight and treat them with the proper amount of respect. Because sticks and stones may break bones, but those bones will heal. Many of us still carry the bruises from the weight of words that were spoken way too casually. Let's pray together. God, help us. God, we so desperately need you. God, a passage like this is easy to be overwhelmed by. It's easy to think about how overwhelming it is and, and what it means to really understand how, the impact that our tongue has. But God, we have such good news from you. that Because of your grace, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, because of your word, God, you have given us a guide to help us and to show us what it is that you have truly called us to. God, I do pray that, that, that none of us walk out of here and, and, and think we have to have some get our act right, work hard sort of methodology. But we understand it is only by daily depending on your grace do we have any ability, any ability to begin to tame the tongue, to begin to have some sort of control over our tongues, it is only by daily surrendering it to you and praying for your spirit's transformation, for your help in all this, can we even begin to respond to a passage like this. Uh, we do. We wish this passage was harder to understand, but it's, it's clear for us. You've called us as your children not to be deceived into thinking that we don't have to control our tongues. But ultimately, God, you have displayed for us through your word here that it is only by depending on your grace and the work of Christ can we even begin to know what it means that out of our hearts, out of our souls, that the words would express the transforming power of you and not our old sinful rebellious desires. God, we admit so many times it's so easy for the words that come out of us to sound like our old self, the place we used to live, the things that we used to say. But God, we thank you that when we come to you daily in full surrender and are reminded of the grace of the gospel, that we are reminded as you have created us and equipped us for a new way of living, of thinking, and of speaking. God, help us to be totally and completely dependent on you and help our lives to reflect and be transformed by this good news. In your heavenly name, amen.